0: Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We have just heard in our gospel lesson that it was 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So, in our frantic schedules, we're always obsessed with what time it is. But ancient peoples weren't like that. They weren't looking at their cell phones. They were looking at the sun. And very seldom does a biblical story tell you what time it was so if they do we need to pay attention so we'll get to the four o'clock be sure I do (laughs) but first where are we in church time in church time we're in Epiphany originally that word meant that a God shows up today we use it more broadly to refer to an intuition or an insight that we have, an aha moment. Oh, I didn't used to understand that, now I get it. That's an aha movement, a moment. I get it, or, so that's who that was, hmm. Well, while we're on that, I've been at the Church of the Ascension for 15 years now, and I think it's high time for you to know who I really am. You laugh. I am actually Violet, the Dowager Countess of Grantham. If you don't get that reference, somebody at coffee hour will know. Believe me. In the season of Lent, we see both meanings. Jesus shows up and reveals himself to be God, and people have an aha moment and say... Oh, I get it. Jesus is God. So today we take up where Father Millard left off last Sunday. Jesus has walked out on the Josephson Construction Company of Nazareth, leaving his brothers angry and his neighbors gossiping. He knows who he is, even if they don't. He's been baptized by John. Now he begins to call disciples. People who meet him have... An aha moment and sign on to stay with him. One thing before we begin. Today's lesson is all about men, but St. Luke is careful to tell us that Jesus had women disciples, numerous of them. They traveled with him, they supported him, and as we all know, they stayed with him to the end. Jesus invented equal opportunity. Man or woman, a disciple, is a learner, but not just any old learner, not somebody that says, oh, I think I'll go slump in a chair and see what I hear, not someone who just sits in on a course for no credit. And a lot of what we have today is also people saying things like, oh, I think it would be totally cool to be spiritual in some vague, undefined way. A disciple commits to and engages with a particular teacher. Today we will see six calls to discipleship. The people are quite different, and that's an important point. But there's a pattern to the call. Someone meets Jesus, has an aha moment, and promptly tells someone else, Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. That person meets Jesus, has an aha moment, and goes right out and tells somebody else, Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, God with us. That person sees Jesus, comes to his aha or her aha moment, and goes and tells somebody else. And I have five more pages of that. Is that okay? (laughs) You get it? The first person we hear from today was John the Baptist, as we know. And he reports that moment when the heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended as a dove and stayed on Jesus and the Father declared from heaven, this is my beloved son. That did it for John. Well, I would think so. (laughs) Now, John is hanging around with two of his own disciples and look at a distance there walks Jesus, sort of remote and so far silent. And John says, hmm, that's the Lamb of God. Now, the two men hear this, and they start after Jesus. Jesus senses that somebody's coming up behind him. So he stops, and he turns around, and he asks them a question. What are you looking for? Now, in John's gospel... These are the first words out of Jesus' mouth. A question. It's a direct question. No glad hand, no call me Jay from Naz. No, or rather, how about I'm Jazz from Naz? No fast talk. Just. You know, Jesus is not a good salesman. He really isn't. Um, He's a rabbi, and he asks a question because that's what rabbis do. In this gospel, Jesus asks more than 100 questions. A rabbi asks the question not to hear a recital of facts that you've memorized, but to make you think. Surely this first question from Jesus, listen to this, What are you looking for is a huge question for any one of us. Has it occurred to you that though Jesus may seem remote and so far silent, if he senses you anywhere near, he will stop and he will ask you, What are you looking for? And I want to ask you just right now What are you saying to him? A job, peace, money, healing, love. A reason to live? Energy enough to get through the day? Adventure? And you know, for all the bad press that young people get, there is a significant movement in this country today, especially among young professionals, to be of service. So would you say, I want to make a difference? Or possibly, I don't know what I'm looking for. I'm not going to d- insult your intelligence or dishonor my Lord by giving you a religious, glib pep talk. Something along the lines of, come to Jesus and you'll know all the answers, come to Jesus and your problems will evaporate. Come to Jesus, and you'll get everything you want right now. If I were preaching that, I'd be on TV. (laughs) And people would be sending me millions of dollars. I'm going to tell you the truth. All of those things that this congregation may silently have named to the Lord right now, all of those things, immediate needs, existing dreams, our subpoints subpoints of our most fundamental look for we want to live not exist really live life is what we're looking for why because that's what we were created for god created us to live But we live in a spirit-shriveling, death-dealing environment. God created us for joy, peace, beauty, love. But look where we are. So the question becomes, in this toxic reality, how can I live my life? How can I live the God life for which I was created, the life God yearns to give me. That's what I'm looking for. And that brings us to Jesus because he is life. He is the very source of life, and he calls us to connect with him, to live our lives, whatever they are, wherever they are, with him and in him because he not only knows how to live, he knows how to empower us to do it. So how does that work? Well, in our story, when Jesus asks, what are you looking for? The men come back with a question of their own. Where are you staying? Now that sounds like a (laughs) non-answer, but Jesus gets it. What they're saying is, Uh, We're thinking about coming on as your disciples. Would you let us talk with you? Because you see, in this day and age, when when a rabbi took you on as a student, you went to live with the rabbi. And you studied and studied and studied. But you also tried to imitate the rabbi's table manners, posture, intonation patterns, Manners, you tried to get as much like the rabbi as you could so that when the rabbi was not there, he was there because you were there. Friends, does that give you an aha moment about the Christian life? Our goal, our purpose in life, is to become so much like Jesus that when we walk into a room he walks into the room so much like him that we see with his eyes we think with his mind we feel with his heart we laugh and weep when he laughs and weeps and you know what wondrously the more we get to be like him the more we become our authentic selves but that can happen only if we live with jesus hence where are you staying Listen to the answer, come and see. That's not an address, that's an invitation. That's an invitation to relationship, that's not admission to a program. What a reckless rabbi this is. No entrance exam, no essay telling why you want to study with him. No audition tapes? Come and see with a willing heart. He will identify your skill set and your talents, and He'll start with you where you are, and He'll bring you along. This is a relationship with Him who is the life. Come and see. Is that not stunning in its simplicity? It's beauty. It's transparency. Bring your book bag with your hard questions. Bring your emotional baggage, your anger, your woundedness, your boredom, your chaotic thoughts. Bring your backpack for exploration and adventure. Come and see. Now we get to the 4 o'clock. The guys stayed till 4 o'clock. Now in those days, you need to understand the day began at 6 a.m. and at the end of the day was 6 p.m. So this is near the end of the day. What it means is that they have spent significant time with Jesus. What a conversation that must have been. Wouldn't you have loved to be there, have been there? We don't know what was said, but we do know the outcome. They have an epiphany. They see who Jesus is. And right away, Andrew hunts up his brother Simon and says, Hey, brother, come on. We've found the Messiah. So he brings his brother Simon, and Jesus takes one look at him and says, Uh-huh, yeah, Simon Johnson. Well, from, not from now on. From now on, your name's Peter. Oh. You may remember that Father Troutman said several weeks ago that sometimes in the God family you get a new name. Well, Peter gets a new name. That's the end of our gospel lesson. But don't get that hymn book out yet. It's not the end of the story. I'm going to tell you the end of the story just quickly. There's a hometown hometown buddy of Peter and Andrews called Philip. Jesus calls Philip. Philip goes right away to his buddy called Nathaniel. And he says, hey, Nathaniel, come on. We found the Messiah, the Son of God. And... uh, now, I can't, I can't leave out this little part because I think it's so funny. Uh, Philip adds, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel goes, oi. <laughs> You've got to be kidding. Can any good come out of Nazareth? Now, I want you to think of the town or neighborhood or school that you consider to be the absolute pits and fill in the blank. Can any good come out of? Well, Philip doesn't argue. Listen to what he says. He says, come and see. So he brings Nathaniel to Jesus, and Jesus looks at Nathaniel and he says, well, here's a guy that says what he thinks. Now, he hadn't even been there when Nathaniel made that crack. So this blows Nathaniel away, and he exclaims, Yikes, how did you know that? You must be the son of God. So that's the pattern. You hear about Jesus. You see for yourself he is God. Then you go tell somebody else. This is not just a winsome story. This is a model of how you and I got here today. And it's a model of how we are to carry out Jesus' great commission, which was to, is to go into the world and make what? Disciples. Not converts. Disciples. <clears throat> so far, it all sounds very individualistic. Me and Jesus. It's all about me. So let me stick a pin in that balloon. I have to tell you, Jesus called the first disciples not into a class list, but to form a community. That's what God is always doing. In the Old Testament, it was the children of Israel called, not just a bunch of people, called to be a holy nation. Today, it's the church called to be a holy nation not just a bunch of people, called, as Father Millard said last week, to fulfill all righteousness, to feed the hungry, to take care of the poor, the widow and the orphan, to insist on justice, and to preach the gospel to the millions of people in this world who have never even heard the name of Jesus. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian Like it or not, if you're a disciple of Christ, you are part of the church. God's family. It's called the Communion of Saints, a wildly different bunch of people united in Christ. You can kick and scream and deny that all you want, but it's true, it's the reality. Now, I need to say that for many Americans, this is a deal breaker because it smashes our favorite idol, self. Our favorite assumption, my life is mine and nobody can tell me what to do. Has anyone here ever seen an old movie called Hoosier? Well, you might want to get it from Netflix. (laughs) In that movie, Gene Hackman is basketball coach in a tiny high school in Indiana. Six guys come out for basketball. One is a star. He never misses a shot. The town loves him. He is wow. He is the big guy. He is wonderful. Now, Coach makes a rule you have to pass four times before you shoot. Well, of course, Star isn't going to do that. So Star goes right on, makes a basket. The town goes wild. Coach takes him out of the game and benches him. He broke the rule. Boo, you know, all over the place. Then another player fouls out. Does Coach put the star back into the game? No, he does not. He makes them play the rest of the game with four guys on the team. And after the game, he says to them, you got a weekend to think about this. I am the coach. My word is law. And what happens is that with discipline, those players become a team. And they actually go on to win the state championship so what's my point well my point is if you're not already a disciple don't sign on with Jesus if you're planning to be the lone star and you're planning to play the game your way no matter what now many of us here this morning are already disciples we signed on long ago so what about us? Okay, let's remember the goal of the disciple, to become perfectly conformed to the image of Christ. In church talk, that's sanctification. We're trying to get to be like the, li- the rabbi. So at this point in our lives, those of us who are already disciples need to ask ourselves, am I so good that I don't need... Jesus anymore? Have I gotten beyond the place where I need to spend time with him and learn something and just hang out with him? Well, maybe so. But in the world of music, a singer who is world famous and at the top of their form still goes for coaching. That's what my brother does. In his retirement years, he coaches professional singers. In the world of sports, Tiger Woods still goes to coaches. Now, that's true discipleship, and it requires humility and trust and dedication and intention and perhaps blood, sweat and tears. It isn't easy but the payoff is huge. Trust me. It's exciting. Life with Jesus is a ride. I can't imagine why anybody would choose any other way of life. I can't. But finally, let's be very clear about what Jesus is calling us to. If you go shopping for a Bible, you may see one called the Life Application Bible. Let's think about the word application. I think Band-Aid. I think Temporary tattoo. I think application of theory. I think application of formula. Those are applications. No, the Bible is not about application, it's about participation. Do you get that? It's not about application, it's about participation. Suppose you're at a Bible study and you read, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Or, pray for people who are really nasty to you. Or, I'm the bread of life. Okay, the question is not, how does Jesus' teaching apply to my life? The question is, how can I participate in that Life. The very life of God. That call is unique. Other famous teachers have had disciples, but they're not calling you and me into a living relationship with God today. Socrates is not calling us. Plato is not calling us. The Buddha is not calling us. Mohammed is not calling us. They're dead. Jesus is alive. He ranges the universe, He inhabits the universe, He holds it all together. He speaks, he energizes, he empowers. And his call, follow me, is so audacious that it demands a response. You have to say yes or no. It's like saying somebody saying to you, will you marry me? I think I'll stay neutral on that is not a possible answer. <laughs> there is no neutrality. It's yes or no, and it's choice, and Jesus will never force you. If you turn away from him, he'll let you go, though he's heartbroken. At the end of chapter 6 in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes a very hard teaching, and many potential disciples walk away. And he watches them. And he says to those who remain, what about you? Are you going to leave me? And Peter says, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Whether you're just an whether you're an inquirer, just a beginner, or a mature disciple, will you say that to Jesus today? I'm staying with you. Where else would I go? You have the words of eternal life. Amen.